In 2020, one of the big lessons that businesses, workplaces and organisations had to learn very quickly was how to digitise their services and their workplace. For Service Victoria, they were way ahead of the curve. I'm Hayley Ricketson and in this episode of Public Sector Perspectives, we'll look at embracing digital services in government amidst a global pandemic. Service Victoria is an administrative office within the Department of Premier and Cabinet and they are all about modernising the way we get things done online. They've collected a number of the most popular government services and put them all in the one digital place, making for a simpler, more accessible user experience. They now have over 70 government transactions from all departments sitting on their website for easy access, including the Working with Children's Check, Vehicle Registration and applying for a Proof of Age card. In 2020, as the coronavirus pandemic shut down many face-to-face government and business operations, the need for digitised government services has been very quickly accelerated. But so too was the need for meaningful customer service that is effective and efficient in an online space. Joanne de Morton has been CEO of Service Victoria since its inception in 2018, leading a team of customer service, user experience and data experts to adapt government services to a digital landscape. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you. I've given a brief overview, but can you just talk me through how Service Victoria came about and what it is you guys do? Um, Yeah, so government established Service Victoria because we realised that um, government's spending a lot more than the private sector on customer services, and yet our customers were relatively less satisfied. Um, Now, you know, some people have questioned the role of customer service in government, but I think you'd argue it's even more important than the private sector because we make laws that mandate that our customers use our services and they've got nowhere else to go. And so when they're on a journey from a need to an outcome, it's usually something that's really quite fundamental to their life. It's something about their work or about getting around or, you know, types of things that have a big impact for them. And so when they run into a complication, it's more than just inconvenient. It can be really, really stressful because it's a roadblock to people doing what they need to do. And so importantly, there's a correlation between people's everyday interactions and their trust in government as a whole. It's like, if you can't even get the basic things right, then why would we trust you on some of the more important things? And so that's one of the most important aspects of our role. Um, Modern customer services build confidence in government and they help people get on with their life. And so our belief is that government services should be designed around people's needs. And our purpose is to make it easy for people to get things done with the government. And you've been with Service Victoria since the beginning. So what's what's that journey been like? Has it grown and developed in the way you thought it would? We were given a fantastic opportunity to redefine from first principles how services could be provided. We started with just five people and it was really nice. We could study some of the best practices from around the world and really learn from how others were doing things. Essentially, we're about customer fulfilment, you know, from that need to an outcome. And there's lots of sectors that invest way more in learning about that than government ever can. You know, the Amazons of the world and the Ebays do these things really, really well. So it was great to think laterally and look at what others were doing. We closely followed the Lean Startup methodology, which meant that we were testing and learning and iterating all the time as we went along to develop a service offering that best met people's needs. And so our visions for modern government services that suit people's lives. And so we have to keep up with that changing consumer behaviour and things they're expecting from the interactions with other services like shopping and banking. 
So we focused at being at the forefront of innovation in digital services, solving those roadblocks to people being able to transact fully online was something that was really important to us. We were the first jurisdiction to legislate for customer service and identity verification. And our legislation gave us the ability to share information across agencies, which was huge back at that point in time. Um, we were also the first to have a fully operational digital identity service at the highest online level. And so people have been really willing to give that a try, which has been fantastic. And around 70,000 people verified their identity with us already. And about a third of those are choosing to save it to reuse in future transactions. And so we were also the first jurisdiction to introduce an AI artificial intelligence chatbot. Um, and many still don't have such advanced digital support. Um, so really staying, you know, up with what people are doing elsewhere was, was something that was really important and great for us to have the opportunity to be able to do. Perhaps the biggest change to what I thought we were going to do was I was expecting that we might have expanded into non-digital services, but all our research shows that people prefer to do things online and would rather um, government invest in making those services available online. And if the coronavirus pandemic shown us anything, it's that for many people, online is a convenient and safe option, whether it's working online, shopping online, or conducting life administration type of tasks that they do with government. Yeah, and as as we know, the coronavirus pandemic has completely changed the way we live and work and vastly increased our need for digitised services. But how did, did this affect Service Victoria? What changed and how? So if anything, it highlighted the important role of digital government and the public's embrace of online and contactless services. Social distancing restrictions really are changing people's behaviour and even those that have been traditionally reluctant to choose online, becoming more used to a new way of getting things done and, and doing their business. Just five years ago, our earlier research showed that 19% uh, of people wouldn't transact online. But there's been more recent research done by others that's suggesting that you know up to 97% of people are saying that they are capable now of using technology to perform their basic day-to-day -day tasks. So you know that's a that's a big shift in people's willingness to learn and take up digital. And I think that the um, coronavirus pandemic will only you know enhance people's choosing to give it a bit of a go and see how they go and whether they can do it. So I think organisations with digital first business models like Service Victoria are well placed to capitalise on that shift in behaviour. And as we look at some of the leading companies in that space, they're prioritising digital first because it drives higher satisfaction and engagement. It is where people are preferring to transact. And investing in tomorrow's service capabilities, things like speech-driven interfaces, you know, connecting with your um, Hey Siri or your Hey Googles of the world, um, they're not spending much on today's service channels like retail counters and, you know, call centres, and most of them are shrinking their physical footprint. So the traditional multi-channel approach to government service channels, you know, your phones, your counters, um, you know, mail, they're expensive and they're not really what people would prefer as their first choice. Um, and so a better modern approach is to really think about what's the right support model at the right point in time in that customer journey. Call centres and retail counters are good at helping some customers, um, but they're quite reactive and they have limited opening hours. One of the interesting things we found is, um, you know, in the first half of this year, we had about, um, I think around 75,000 customers using Service Victoria on a Sunday. 
And weekends have historically been quiet times when the shop fronts and service centres close their doors. But even looking at last weekend, um, we saw as much daily traffic on a Saturday and Sunday as we got across the weekend weekdays. It's been really interesting. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. So broadly, though, not not just the weekends, have you found more people utilising the services? Yeah, we've we've grown significantly since we first launched into full service in 2018. So there's, we've now got more things people can do, which helps with that. So we've rebuilt about um, 32 digital services. And then we've got links to, as you said in your opening, um, around 70 others of the most popular that you can connect to from the platform. Um, so last year we had about a million people visit us. Um, and this year we'd already had our millionth visitor by October. So we're growing fast. Um, I was surprised that our recent research showed 23% of people were aware of Service Victoria, and that's without having done a single bit of promotion of our services. So I think, you know, that organic growth of, of being where people are transacting and where they need to get things done is working. And those initial two years really had a focus of laying the right foundations and making sure that customers responded positively to our service offer. We also um, had partnerships with some fantastic partner agencies and strong technology partners. We've got a really good technology platform that can scale now. And so we're refining across the organisation to make sure it's ready to handle that scale up. So that really is the next step is growth and scale. More people doing more transactions more often. Um, and all startups have that tipping point where you step up the operation. They call it from startup to scale up. And so that really is now the next step in front of Service Victoria. Yeah, and you mentioned the sort of people having a positive experience. Have you received much feedback from users? Yes, we have. Um, so uh, we sample customers at the end of their journey and we ask them about their experience and we get really high response rate to the survey. Um, more than a quarter of people take part and that's a lot higher than the response rates that you would normally get in the private sector. And I think that just shows Victorians are committed to their public services and they want to share their thoughts to help them improve. And so now we've got um, more than 50,000 um, customer comments. We analyse those and we use them to keep improving and making our services easier for people. We rate the, our customer satisfaction on a five-point scale and so we count those that give us a three, four, five-star rating as, you know, broadly satisfied with the service and so we've got a high target of 95% satisfaction and luckily um, I'm pleased that we're managing to hit that high bar. We also look at the comments that people leave. So we use natural language processing to perform what they call sentiment analysis to understand people's experience. Um, and, you know, if our purpose is to make it easy for people to use government services, then I was really pleased that the most common word people leave in that sentiment analysis is easy. So that's been fantastic. So far we've had, you know, over 5,000 people using that exact word, which is really good. Um, some of our comments, I sort of collected a few thinking you might have asked me something like that. And um, what's really interesting is customers starting to say about how it's easier now during um, the COVID experience. Um, we had others reinforcing um, the value of having a central place to go. So they're saying things like, you know, it's so much easier to keep track of everything when it's all in one place. It's really easy to use rather than going to multiple other websites. So that's good. Um, and probably my favourite comment of all time was, it's government but modern. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a great comment. So with those kind of fantastic comments and that kind of feedback and then amidst 
the the pandemic do you think has it changed you or, or your staff's understanding of the work you do all the time all the time um so we're constantly learning from that feedback and it's a huge part of our culture that i try really hard to encourage so we share the customer feedback on our internal yammer site so that all staff can see how customers are reacting to the services they've designed and built um, and we've got teams of people who um, develop those online services and can take accountability for watching and iterating the improvements as the feedback comes through um, we were really fortunate to have a greenfield start. And so right from the outset, we recruited people that really strongly felt aligned to that vision and um, you know, wanted to come to work to make, the ser make services better for people. Um, but we did need quite a big cultural shift in the way that IT programs have traditionally been delivered. So, you know, in the past, the risks in IT, it was big, it was expensive, but now, you know, the costs are plummeting, there's um, things are obsolete before they've even really begun. And so they're no longer those big asset investments that they used to be. And so the traditional, you know, heavy governance and planning and specifications up front don't actually mitigate the new kinds of risks. And so luckily we were able to start with more modern technologies that, you know, they allow for that incremental delivery of small working components and they're better suited to that responsive delivery model. So it really did make it much easier for the people working in the organisation to take that, um, you know, test and learn and iterate approach and move away from the big bang um, of more traditional development. Um, and so, you know, that's been our focus is to um, build those small modular components, keep iterating and learning all the time and adjusting based on the feedback that we get. So generally, and from what you've been saying, digitising services seems to be about ease of access and, and efficiency. So how does customer service manifest in online services? Uh, it's about taking a single-minded focus on helping customers to be successful online. So to stay in the channel that they prefer and not have to switch to other channels like the phone. It's different because you're not there when the customer's transacting with you. And so you need to invest really heavily in analytics to understand what their experience is and help you walk in their shoes and see where they might be having difficulty. So our service model is designed to help customers to complete their transaction on the platform. We work hard to understand their journey and put in those support services at the very point that customers might need some help. So we've got a, a tiered digital support model and our first tier is the artificial intelligence chatbot. Her name is Vicky. Um, Vicky is a really hardworking customer experience officer. She um, does about 75 to 85% of um, first contact resolution. And so that saves about 70% of our um, customer service agents time. Um, and then if Vicky can't help them, then it's what's called an escalated web chat. And so our customer experience officers behind the scenes can interact with customers in a little chat that pops up, um, which people will be familiar with, you know, from their experiences elsewhere. Um, and again, that's also um, good for the customer because they really don't want to have to pick up the phone. They want to just be able to stay in the online channel. Um, and it's great for government because customers experience officers can deal with multiple chats at the one time. And so it's quicker for people to get a response. 
Um, and then our final tier is call support. If it's real, if we really can't help people in the digital channel, then we um, can call them um, and help them over the phone with our customer experience agents. So all of that tiering creates a better experience for customers um, and significantly reduces the cost of that customer support for government. We've also had to rethink um, the customer segments that might need additional support. So. Um, what was interesting is historically government thinks about the types of customers that might need um, additional help um, uh, as people um, maybe living with a disability, people from lower socioeconomic areas, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. But what our research showed was that people from these groups were just as likely to use online services as the broader community and in some cases more so. Um, and so instead, we found that the common element amongst people who were reluctant to transact online was their lower levels of digital literacy, with more and more people saying that they're capable of using technology to perform their basic day to day tasks, this skill gap is really starting to become no longer a barrier to government online services. So the challenge then is to make sure they're really easy for everybody to use and understand. So for example, um, our language is aimed at a 12 year old. It's really hard to do, but it's worth it. Um, and so this is why service redesign plays such an important role in government now. And it's great to see so many government agencies embracing user-centered designs and agile methods, um, you know, to focus on customer services as an important business function. Um, the challenge though is still reducing the silos to help solve the problem of fragmentation of services for the customer. And so, you know, at, at the more we focus on doing that, I think the more it will reduce the duplication across government and just improve that experience even more. Do you get many people who would like to bypass the, the online customer service and, or get much feedback of people saying, oh, I just want to talk to someone. I just want to pick up the phone and talk to someone. Or do people seem generally satisfied with the online tools? Uh, it's a mix of both, I think. And what it usually shows is where we need to invest a bit more in getting the answers for people clearer. So we pay particular attention if that happens to what type of thing were they doing so that we can realise that that actually isn't working as well as it should for people. So we learn a lot from those. Um, but I'll tell you that um, one of the most interesting things is people love to have a bit of a chat with Vicky and they ask her what she did on the weekend and they ask her if she's got a boyfriend. <laughs> so, you know, we do like test out and have a bit of a play around with, uh, with our Vicky chatbot. <laughs> so is the, the measuring the effectiveness, is that, does that come from what you were sort of speaking about before, the feedback from people, the comments, the general sort of qualitative and quantitative measurements that you guys you guys do yeah that's it so following that lean startup methodology really created that culture of putting the customer at the center and continuous improvement and keeping listening to that feedback and so we're now in a cadence of just constantly rolling out new code with you know small changes all the time so we measure things like um, did customers actually do what they came to, to the platform to do. Um, at Service Victoria, our average is around 65%. And that puts us right up there with the top online retailers, which is really pleasing. Um, we measure things important to the customers like speed and ease. And so we've taken, um, cut the time for customers to transact by about a quarter, not on every transaction, but overall in average. 
Um, and so I think someone worked it out for me. It's around um, 85,000 hours that we gave back to Victorians last financial year, you know, less time wow. in queues forms. So it's really starting to make a difference. And did any of that, that customer service experience or engagement, did any of that change with COVID? Uh, not dramatically, no. Um, obviously, we saw a drop off on activities that were restricted, like fishing and gold prospecting or away from home notifications to police. Um, but as soon as the restrictions lifted, we saw things start to pick up again. So, for example, at the start of November, when Melburnians can now leave their home for any reason, not just the four reasons, um, we saw more fishing licenses in two days than in the whole of the previous week. So, the other service, um, as I mentioned, was telling Victoria Police if you're going away from home for holidays. So I'm sure many people are now going to be really looking forward to being able to do that. Uh, and so uh, we'll be keeping an eye on, you know, how that one changes. So those are the main kind of differences. So as Victoria begins to reopen and the dust settles from the second wave, how do you see the role of Service Victoria moving forward? Mm, so I think as... Victoria returns to COVID normal and as customers embrace online and contactless services, it's going to be more important than ever to support those touch-free transactions. Um, I think you'll see us move our focus beyond the website um, to optimise for more engaging and more personalised user experiences using the functionality that's provided through our mobile app. Um, we were looking at the, the numbers the other day and about 90% of Australians now own a smartphone um, and people are spending more time in mobile apps than they are on websites. And so what that means is they're increasingly expecting the functionality provided through native mobile apps, like, you know, more personalization, things like pre-populated details, the notifications in reminders that you can get, um, one-click payments because you've got your stored payment details and just general faster transactions. So I, I suspect that's where things are going to be heading. So with all those trends showing that people are preferring online and they're growing their skills and confidence to give online services a try, I think we'll be very busy. <laughs> I think you will, yeah. Joe DeMorton, thank you so much for being part of Public Sector Perspectives. Oh, thank you, Hayley. That brings us to the end of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives. Public Sector Perspectives is produced by IPA Victoria. If you're looking for more ways to connect, share and learn, join IPA's growing network of professionals and become a member today. Go to our membership page at vic.ipa.org.au. And if you enjoyed today's episode of Public Sector Perspectives, spread the word on social media and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can get in touch with Public Sector Perspectives by emailing info at vic.ipa.org.au or via IPA Victoria on all the usual social media channels. I'm Hayley Ricketson and thanks for listening.